All right, so before we dive in, let's look at the overview. Hosea is about judgment and hope. Chapters 1 through 3 tells us the story of both. It's a story about Hosea's life and family that points to the bigger picture, God's relationship with Israel and ultimately God's relationship with us. Chapter 1 is a narrative. Hosea teaches us with a story. Chapter 2 changes to this poetical poetry, which terrifies me because I'm a math major in black and white. However, poetry is wonderful, isn't it? And then chapter 3 picks back up with a narrative. There's a good bit of jumping around, but what we're going to do is start with the judgment and kind of jump around, and then we're going to end with the hope. So let's start with why. Why are the Israelites experiencing judgment? Janine did such a great job last time, but remember that Israel has split into the northern and southern kingdoms. The north is the ten tribes of Israel, and it's also referred to as Ephraim or Israel. They are a mess. The southern kingdom at this point is still worshiping Yahweh, and they are referred to as Judah, which includes the lineage of King David. Why is the northern kingdom such a mess? Janine threw out a really big word last time called religious syncretism. Think in your mind religions that sync together. The Israelites started intermingling the worship of Yahweh and the worship of Baal. It's the same story, right? They were supposed to wipe out all the foreign nations and their gods, but they didn't. The Canaanites worshipped Baal, who was thought to be the god of rain and fertility. Some of these rituals included prostitution, drunken orgies, and all manner of grotesque rituals that the Israelites truly thought would increase their economic prosperity and fertility. Chapter 2 actually lays out a really good picture of what's happening. Chapter 2 is referred as the lawsuit. This is where the charges are being brought against Israel for what she has done. Let's look at chapter 2, and what I'm going to do is kind of plug in some words to help us understand a little better of what he's talking about. So chapter 2, verse 2 says, Plead with your mother, the mother being Israel. Plead, for Israel is not God's wife, and God is not Israel's husband. Plead that Israel put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. That is a call to repentance that she put away her whoring. Then God says, lest I strip her naked, which means she will be exposed for her sin if she does not repent. I will make her as in the day she was born, make her like a wilderness, make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For Israel has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. And then we see the idol worship of Baal. Israel has said, I will go after my lovers, my gods, who give me bread, water, wool, flax, oil, and drink. So clearly Israel is saying that Baal is providing these gifts. They have totally bought into this worship. Verse 8 says, Israel did not know that it was I, God, who gave her the grain and wine, oil, and lavish silver and gold, which they used for Baal. They're taking the gifts from God and giving them to Baal. Verse 12 says, these are my wages that my lovers have given me, that my gods have given me. Israel believes that it is Baal providing rain for their crops and making things grow. So instead of honoring God, 
and proclaiming that everything comes from his hand, they are giving all credit to Baal. So God says judgment will come. In verse 9, he says, I will take back my grain and wine and wool and, fe- wool and flax. And this judgment section ends in verse 13, where God says, I will punish her for the feast days of Baal's. She went after other lovers and forgot me. As hard as poetry is for me to understand, this is a really good picture. And we see how Israel has forsaken God. We see the dirtiness. We see how they are saying, Baal, this God has given me these gifts, when clearly God is the one who gives us everything. The Israelites have been told from the very beginning that they are not to worship anyone or anything but the one true God. If they are unfaithful, there will be judgment. The judgment is here and now for the northern kingdom. You might be thinking, all right, what is going on? What does this have to do with me? I'm not going to worship Baal. I'm not going to prostitute myself or be a part of drunken orgies. So what are we talking about, Aaron? I know I sin, but God forgives me, right? Dr. Young said this on Wednesday night, and I thought it was so good. When God shrinks, I start not caring about my sin. Does your sin bother you, or is it really not that big of a deal? Are we in the practice of confessing and repenting every day? If we don't see the seriousness of our sin, we cannot see the beauty of what God has done for us. So let's look a little deeper. Back to chapter 1, verse 2. God says to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom. Have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Take a wife of whoredom, a prostitute. Let that soak in. I feel like for myself, I get so easily consumed with what I want that do I stop to remember, to look back and remember what God has done for me. We desire happiness. Sorry, I just totally, I'm using Andy's iPad. Um, Okay, we desire happiness and so many things that we easily forget where we came from, right? Chapter 1, the first time I read it, I was like, what is he talking about? These are not God's people? He's not going to have mercy? That's not God. Like, what, what is he talking about? But as I read it over and over and over, it got through my thick head that that is what I deserve, I deserve to be punished. I deserve to have no mercy shown to me. I am the unfaithful whore. The last several years, God has shown me way more of my sin than I want to see. A lot of y'all know that our youngest three boys were born in three and a half years, and it completely undid me. As much as I begged God for these gifts, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I keep talking about it, so clearly it's hard. I never realized how much I thrived on my control, planning my calendar, checking off my to-do list. I loved being in charge of what I was going to accomplish every day. But as I had a new set of circumstances before me with all these little boys, I started feeling like I was losing all of this control. With each kid, I could check fewer things off my list. Not to mention I couldn't control my kids in public. I was embarrassed. 
I felt really defeated. I felt like I couldn't recover. I felt like I had nothing that would give me any worth anymore. And instead of going to God, I feel like I started looking to things of this world. The gifts that God had given me, I looked to those things to fill me up. Maybe if I can just go to a hotel room by myself and get enough sleep, then I'll come home and be peaceful. Maybe if Andy and I just get away and get away from all this chaos, I will get that rest. I will get that peace. I will get that joy. Maybe when my kids get in elementary school and I'm not just stuck at home all the time, we'll be more social and I won't feel so isolated and lonely. As you can see, none of these things are, are bad things. They're actually good things. But I was looking to every little thing to fill up my soul. I was looking to the creation instead of the creator. And I would like to admit to you and confess the past three years, I've had this internal struggle. I'm really tired of it. I felt numb. I've doubted God's plan for my life. I have doubted the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me to help me. These gifts that I begged God for made me angry with my circumstances. I was angry with how exhausting they were. I was angry because they were supposed to be sinless and perfect and make me feel better, right? I saw this restlessness, this lack of joy, this lack of peace inside of me. And I hated the person inside of me. But I felt like I just kept moving. If you just keep moving, if you just keep doing the next thing, surely it'll just remedy itself. Hope. We need hope, don't we? There's a beautiful word in chapter 1, verse 10 that says, yet. Yet in our dirtiness, in our unfaithfulness, in our whoring to find joy, worth, and rest, in anything but God, there is hope in Jesus. Even though there is surely judgment coming to Israel right now, Hosea stops and reminds them of that futuristic hope that is coming. Let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it should be said to them, children of the living God. The children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. They shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. It's like you can hear Hosea whisper, don't forget the promises of God. Don't forget what he has done and what he will do. Genesis 22:17 echoes this promise when God is speaking to Abraham and says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. You hear that promise echoed. And God made that promise to Abraham right after he was about to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, when Jesus stopped him. Hosea is hinting of the covenant and, and Jesus that is to come, which is the most hope we can see. Also in verse 11, where it says they will come with one head, that's a reference to Jesus. He is speaking of the time when Jesus will make all things right. Judah and Israel will be reconciled. They will be under one head, 
God's covenant will not be broken because of God, because of Jesus. We will never be faithful enough, but God will. As we are looking at this hope, we can't move past the relationships he uses. He is the father. We are his children. We just heard that he said we are the children of the living God. Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God is alive. Don't you love the living God part? He is not a dead, lifeless idol. He is alive. He has owned his throne, and he is working all things together for our good. Throughout these chapters, he also uses a marriage, an intimate relationship between husband and wife, and I love this part. If you look at chapter 2, where we're ending in verse 13 with that judgment, I don't know if you noticed this, but then you read chapter 14, and it's like, what just happened? Like, there was judgment, and then this tone is so different, right? She went after other lovers and forgot me, and then I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. What just happened? Here's what Matthew Henry says. He says it so beautifully. When it was said she forgot me, one would think it would have followed, therefore I will abandon her and forget her. But he says, I will allure her, which shows God's thoughts and ways of mercy are infinitely above ours. His reasons for mercy are all fetched within himself, not from anything in us. His goodness takes occasion from man's badness to appear much more illustrious. The design is plainly to magnify free grace. Free grace to those on on whom God will have mercy purely for mercy's sake. Do you see what he's saying? It would have been a natural response when someone is made aware of an adulterous relationship, adulterous relationship over and over to say, I'm done with her. I'm done. I'm running away. But what does God say? The opposite. Instead of running away, he comes and gets us, speaks tenderly to us, allures us. He starts righting all the wrongs. The very next verse talks about the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. If you all remember back in Joshua studying about Achan who disobeyed God and got stoned. But now it's turned into a door of hope. Who can do that other but our God? He speaks tenderly, mercifully, rights wrongs, redeems things. He will be our husband and betroth us, which seals us with righteousness, justice, steadfast love, and mercy. Listen to what Isaiah 54, 5 says about this relationship. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel, your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife cast off. For a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. An overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, a love that will not end, a love that will not be broken, 
I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, the Redeemer. God is not an inactive, distant, dead God. God desires relationship, an intimate relationship. It's not about checking off the list. It's about, it's about the relationship. This is a little awkward, but we're going to go there. In the Bible, when the verb know is used, like in Genesis, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. We know what the no means, that they had sexual intercourse. So God desires, he gives us a picture of the most intimate relationship that we have on this earth and says, that's the intimacy I want with you. This same verb is used all over the Psalms. Psalm 910, those who know you put their trust in you. Psalm 25, 4, make me to know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. God is desiring a deep, intimate, knowing relationship. This happens inside of us, in our hearts. Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret is Christ inside of me, not a different set of circumstances. Do you know God? And I'm the chief person of this. So many of us claim, I I want to, I'm just too busy. I don't have time. I came across this funny article that I was like, I've just got to read you a few of these that talks about time. Do you know if you have 30 seconds, which is the time it takes to put your shoes on, you can pray for a friend sing a whole verse of Amazing Grace, or read a Bible verse out loud. If you have a whole minute, you can read the whole first prayer in the Valley of Vision. You can sing two verses to most hymns, and you can write a Bible verse on an index card to take around with you. That's one minute, y'all. If you have three minutes, which is the time it takes to make a cup of coffee, you can read a whole chapter in the Bible. Three minutes. You can write down three things you're grateful for. You can write someone a letter. It goes in five, ten minutes, thirty minutes. God has shown me I have time. I just don't do it. I waste it. What are you using your time on? So who is God to you? Is he a name you throw out that makes you feel better sometimes? Is God someone you want to know, but you just don't know how? He's in the Bible. And you have friends in this room that would love to come alongside you and help you know him more. Is God someone who you think you need to do good things for so he won't let anything bad happen to you? If you read the Bible, you know that's not how it works. Do you want to know this God? Do you want to soak him in? Do you want to fear him? Do you want to proclaim with everything that he holds your life in the palm of your hands and nothing in this world can fill your soul like knowing this God? Maybe you sit here today and you're not really sure what you're looking for, but know this, God first loved us. This God continually comes after the unfaithful whore who sins again and again and again. He gives us hope that one day this struggle will be over and that all of our wrongs will be made right in Jesus. Remember, walking with God and serving him does not mean you obtain a different set of circumstances. 
Walking with God is about trusting him, obeying him, fearing him, knowing that he has sovereignly placed you in the set of circumstances that you are in today. I want to end with these lyrics to this song because I've clearly been struggling with my circumstances and sometimes I confuse struggling with not knowing God. And a lot of times it's through our struggle that we get to know God the best. This song is called I Ask the Lord and the words are by John Newton. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. It was he who taught me to pray, and he I trust answers prayer. But it has been in such a way that almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, cast out my feelings, laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials that I employ from self and pride to set you free, I want to break your schemes of earthly joy so that you may seek your all in me. Let's pray. God, I confess that I have um, internally been struggling for a while now. Um, life has felt hard and overwhelming, um, and I've hated the person I have seen inside of me. But I thank you so much for these words today. We are unfaithful. We can't ever get it right. We can't ever get rid of our sin here. Yet you have provided everything we need to do this life well. You have given us your word. You have given us your hope. And more importantly, you have given us your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to fight this sin. And your Holy Spirit can give us this intimate relationship with you. God, I pray for the hearts in this room today. I pray that you will break us of the things and creation, the things of this world that we are looking to, to fill us up. Would you show us? Would you show us who you are? Would you show us how to fear you? Will you show us how to be trusting in you in all things despite our circumstances? God, we love you. And we are so thankful for this mercy. May your kindness lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.